Welcome to Celebrate Poe. My name is George Bartley, and this is episode 130, The Real Thing. Now, over the past few months, the cast and crew of the Indianapolis Shakespeare Company uh, have been working furiously as a group of incredibly talented actors and skilled designers uh, to produce a unique blend of Shakespeare's Richard III and hip-hop music in Ricky Three. And I've been going over and over that script, translating it into American Sign Language so that the play will be accessible to deaf people. Now, this is Deaf Awareness Month, a time of the year that highlights the importance of making all events accessible to individuals who happen to be deaf. But first, a little bit of info to put this uh, podcast into perspective, at least time-wise. In the episode last week, I talked about my illness and why there were several weeks without an episode. And uh, by the time this podcast episode drops, Richard III, or Ricky III, will have completed its run at the Taggart Amphitheater in Indianapolis, Indiana. So this episode is a bit overdue. Now, I was fortunate enough to interpret the play into ASL on Thursday, July the 28th at what I thought would be a challenging but enjoyable experience. However, I had no idea that interpreting Richard III that night would be the most awesome experience of my life. Now, when I first decided to do a podcast episode about the experience of interpreting Richard III, I thought I would call it the most intense experience of my life. But somehow, the more I thought about it, I realized the word intense just didn't quite cut it. Oh, sure, it was an extremely intense experience that you just can't put into words. Maybe that's part of the point. Uh, but a better way of expressing it might be to say that interpreting the play was the most awesome experience of my life. Interpreting the play for the deaf was totally awesome, for sure, but showed me that I was in the presence of greatness. It gave me a, a feeling of reverence for the talents on the stage behind me and the opportunity to help communicate a profound story with some of the most beautiful words in the English language, perhaps in any language. Uh, besides, uh, the word intense might be uh, a better term to describe a dentist's needle in your mouth. Certainly not the kind of emotions that uh, Ricky Three engendered. Now, to be honest, at first, uh, I, I must admit, I did have my doubts. A cast combining Shakespeare and hip-hop. I was afraid it would be like an ear-splitting hip-hop concert and my ears would be ringing. You see, years ago, I stood in front of a huge speaker and interpreted a great production of The Who's Tommy. Now, I know at one time, The Who held the record for having almost the loudest concerts, and Pete Townsend is now classified as legally deaf. At the time, I thought it was really cool, but it really, really did a number on my hearing. I mentioned this the other day to a younger friend, and she looked at me with a blank expression, and I began to realize that she'd never heard of The Who. 
I think that the rest of the conversation went like, uh, you know, The Who? Who? The band named The Who. Yes, but, but what is the name of the band? The Who. Yes, but, but what is the name of the band? I said, this is beginning to sound like Abbott and Costello's Who's On First. She gave me a totally blank expression, and I realized I was really old with a reference like that. But anyway, I went to a dress rehearsal and uh, was afraid that I was going to see a big mess. The stage was outdoors, and I expected some very loud music. But I left the play deeply moved and very impressed. The rap music was like a strong background that never seemed to get in the way. The cast took some huge risks, and they all seemed to really pay off. For example, Richard is usually played as a grotesque, almost stereotypical villain. But I thought this Richard, the one in this production, came across as far less cartoonish, the combination of a group of of emotions, and as a person who's been stomped on and is just trying to get by and is ultimately far more human. And let me stop here and apologize if you in the cast or production team has heard me say any of these things before. I just wanted to put them all into some kind of context. Now, I had majored in Shakespeare and Renaissance literature in grad school, and I've seen hundreds of live plays, videos, slash DVDs uh, of works by Shakespeare, as well as audio versions. Probably way too much Shakespeare for my own good. Well, the morning after that dress rehearsal, I came to the conclusion that uh, IMHO, this was the best production of a play by Shakespeare that I had ever seen. With its excellent sets, incredible music, and awesome lighting, I hoped that I could do the play justice as far as communicating the words and even music to, to any deaf people who might be attending. Richard uh, was an extremely entertaining story and also a play of ideas. In the program for the production, the artistic director, Ryan Archberger, wrote, quote, Like all good plays, this play operates on multiple levels. The play can be a Game of Thrones kind of political intrigue with bloodbath on the side. It can also serve as political commentary about the treachery of seeking power without concern for the harm caused in the search. From another political angle, it questions us, the audience, saying, why do you sit back and watch atrocities or even abuses of power happen? Do you recognize your complicity? On yet another level, it speaks to us as people. We can see ourselves in Richard's constant striving for something that won't ultimately fulfill him and the anxiety he feels to try to keep that unfulfilling thing. Almost immediately after being seated on the throne, Richard asks, But shall we wear these honors for a day, or shall they last, and we rejoice in them? This speaks to us about the deep human tendency to be unsatisfied, no matter how much we get. The director of the play, Mikhail Burke, also wrote in the program, 
How do tyrants find their way to power? How do they get away with it? Is, is it their charisma, their, their ability to seduce us with wit, charm, and enviable certainty, certainty as they chart their course and ours? Is it their uncanny pinpointing of our greatest fears are good and evil? Their refusal to let the pesky nuances of lie alter their vision? Or is it their unstoppable confidence in themselves? A certainty that they alone can lead us to the happiness and security we so desperately need. Why do we buy into it? Why don't we stop it? Now, though it was uh, written four centuries ago, Shakespeare's Richard III is a casebook study of the many demagogic icons of the modern era. Richard is determined to be king, and he manipulates, kidnaps, and kills all who stand between him and his goal, using brilliant words and dark charm to conceal his dismantling of government and justice. So, so I, as an interpreter, was not only helping, and I, I feel this strongly, uh, I was not only helping to make an epic production accessible, but attempting to get across some very profound ideas. Now, on a, on a more on a mundane sense, uh, at first I was just standing up there, just below the left side of the stage with the camera and some lighting focused on me so that the interpreting could be live-streamed. But I really didn't see anyone I could focus on. Having an audience always helps a great deal. To be honest, the thought went through my head that I doubt that anyone really knew if I was signing what the introductory speaker was saying. I got that sinking feeling that uh, while those behind the play were attempting to make the play accessible to the deaf, there just might not be any deaf people in the audience. Sure, the presence of an interpreter is always good for deaf awareness, whether they're deaf people in the audience or not. And there might be some hearing people watching who uh, were inspired by the presence of an interpreter to enter the field of deaf studies. That's happened before. And in many cases, the event might need to become established before deaf individuals comfortably attend. This was basically the second play that had been given in the present location. My heart still sank at the distinct possibility of not signing to any deaf folks at all. But then again, Shakespeare can be a hard sell to hearing as well as deaf people, to be completely honest. Then I saw two very attractive people signing to each other a few feet away. It turned out that the lady signed very well and the gentleman was a deaf individual from Mexico. They were very affectionate, and it was obvious they were very much in love. I began signing specifically to them. I always liked that, and they they responded. I mean, very enthusiastically. We seemed to almost instantly hit it off, as though the deaf people were saying, here is someone to help me understand the play. 
And we began doing sort of a dialogue throughout the play that is, is quite common in the deaf community. Uh, perhaps uh, the closest companion or comparison I can think of is the dialogue between the speaker and audience in many churches meeting the needs of African Americans. The black audience keeps up a constant response of amen, brother, and amen, sister, to whatever the speaker says. And if for some reason the speaker starts going off topic or speaks too long, members in the audience might say, bring it on home, brother, or bring it on home, sister. So the minister, in a sense, always knows where he or her stands. Now, before I go any further, I want to emphasize that confidentiality is extremely important to a professional interpreter. For an example, an interpreter would lose any credibility in the deaf community if he or she divulged any subject matter regarding most matters, especially in legal, medical, or counseling situations. I mean, you wouldn't want everyone to know your business, hearing or deaf. Even in the case of a deaf person buying something as seemingly mundane as a car, it's definitely forbidden for the interpreter to talk about the results. After all, the deaf person should be able to share the news with other individuals themselves. But the interpreter has a little bit more leeway in a public situation, where hundreds or even thousands of people see the interpreter performing a service. So you can't very well say that, uh, well, nobody else sees you, because a lot of people are looking at you. So that's why in this episode, I don't feel any compunction discussing my feelings regarding Richard III and the interpreting process. But I would never give any substantial identifying information regarding the individuals I'm interpreting for. Just, just wanted to be clear about that. And I kind of doubt that there's uh, too many deaf people listening to this podcast anyway. Now, remember, I believe that uh, I mentioned in an earlier episode uh, that I rec- when I recorded uh, the edited script used in this production, I would play the first half of the play on headphones <coughs> Excuse me, while walking the two miles to the gym at a good pace, then the second half on the two miles back. And, of course, this was before I became sick. (laughs) Uh, This kind of gets the uh, physical component in. So uh, while I mentally interpret the recording, uh, and, again, I believe that when you're talking about interpreting Shakespeare, about 99% of it is mental. Just let me give you an example. For example, when I hear the the line where Margaret is referred to as well-struck in years, well, mentally, you have to know what you're talking about old. The idea is to go over and over the translation until it becomes second nature. One more example. Uh, Richard has a line in the second part uh, where he says, I am not in the giving vein. In ASL, and this is a rough gloss, that line might be signed, don't want, and then all in one motion, then give, 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 while the person moves uh, his body around to show that, uh, me, that, uh, that he's giving to those around him uh, a mood, giving, a giving mood or a giving vein, stuff uh, that uh, you could not hesitate and try to figure out the first time you heard it. You just couldn't, you just couldn't hear it, and then all at once come out with, with the signs. 
uh, you'd have to be prepared and really know what you're doing. And then, of course, all this is being negated, uh, that he's not in the giving mood. And it really looks cool, really, to sign a, a, relatively comp, a relatively complex construction while members of the cast are saying those words or concepts behind you. Uh, it's hard to express, but it's an incredible feeling hearing the music or words behind you and Richard says the line, I am not in the giving vein. And you simultaneously sign the ASL concept. Again, something that would be impossible to do without preparation. Or when a character says soft in a play by Shakespeare. Now, during Shakespeare's time, the word meant weight. So when I would hear the word soft, I would instantly sign weight. And of course, this is something I wouldn't have known without advanced preparation. If you sign the word soft as in the opposite of hard, well, that would be totally wrong in this situation. It gave me an almost sadistic pleasure. Well, I don't mean it sadistic as, as in the sense of uh, cruel or callous, but a pleasure in seeing that the language was clearer to the deaf audience than the hearing audience. Or at least that's the way I see it. Uh, at the very beginning of the play... Uh, there's a courtly dance, except that the characters uh, writhed their bodies and really got down to a funky beat. The cast was in a circle, and let's say the actor playing Hastings would come to the center of the circle and dance. It was very infectious. Right then it hit me. I don't know why it didn't occur to me before. But when each character would reach the center of the circle and the cast would say, go Hastings, go Hastings, or go Elizabeth, or something like that, I would introduce the corresponding name sign, a practice common in the deaf community, a shorter way of referring to that character later in the play. For example, the letter H with the root sign for Royal, uh, for royal or the name Elizabeth with the root sign for Royal. Sure, an interpreter would probably spell the name in full in a classroom or teaching situation, but using a name sign is a lot faster and much easier to see in a play. Uh, besides, uh, you, you don't get uh, the fingers in contrast uh, when you're doing finger spelling uh, when you're talking about the letters of a proper name. In other words, signs are just a lot easier to see. Uh, but it was when I saw the deaf individuals react to the acting and the presence of music that I really perked up. I would compare the interpreting that night to almost to improvisational jazz from a person who's ha who has had a great deal of practice and experience. Not that I was improvising any of the words, far from it. I had studied for, again, I had studied for hours and knew exactly what the language meant before I started signing. And I've been doing this stuff for years and had gotten over being nervous a long time ago. Now, I'm certainly not placing myself in the category of the great jazz improvisers, giants such as Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, or Charlie Parker. You get the idea. 
jazz musicians who might not be familiar to many listeners today, but these are people who really knew their instruments so well, whether it be a saxophone or trumpet or the human voice, that, that they could compose incredible music on the spot. I felt a little bit of that that the movement and meaning of the word or sign was coming through your body, a feeling of tremendous peace as well as responsibility. In the process, you're, you're accomplishing more than you have ever felt possible, and it all feels exactly right. I've interpreted for years, but this was the first time I felt not only the words, but the meanings were coming through my body. And the deaf people responded to this so well. This just made me feel that much better. Of course, the primary purpose of an interpreter is to help bridge the communication gap to allow the deaf individual to fully participate in society while recognizing the uniqueness of deaf culture. But I've learned over the years that there are times in theatrical interpreting for the deaf when the creative expression of the heightened emotions that can result from the theatrical experience allow deep personal insights as well as an increased understanding of the world around you. In Shakespeare's comedy, A Midsummer's Night's Dream, a play performed by Indy Shakes last year, The character of Bottom says, The eye of man hath not heard, the ear of man hath not seen, man's hand is not able to taste, his tongue to conceive, nor his heart to report what my dream was. The line, The eye of man hath not heard, the ear of man hath not seen, like much of Shakespeare, can be interpreted in many different ways that the bard may not have even intended at the time the words were written, such as a deaf individual communicating in sign language, in other words, utilizing the eyes to hear. In conclusion, when I attended the American Shakespeare Center, affiliated with Mary Baldwin University, we're supposed to say that, I was fortunate enough to study under Dr. Ralph Allen Cohen. In Shakespeare and How to Cure It, Dr. Cohen has written that when we value Shakespeare, Shakespeare's words, uh, we are often perpetuating our own language and cultural norms while suppressing other languages and cultures. That in teaching Shakespeare, we are imposing the granddaddy of D-W-E-M, D-W-E-M-S, I probably should say, dead white European males on students who are not dead, may not be white, may not be of European extraction, and may not be male. From the perspective of a deaf individual experiencing a play, Shakespeare is often perceived as just another hearing dead white European male, who is often viewed as the ultimate hearing and therefore completely unaccessible figure because of his mastery of the English language. 
So the optimal purpose of an informed ASL sign language interpretation of a play by Shakespeare is, one, to make the greatest writer in the English language accessible and meaningful to deaf individuals. Two, communicate non-verbally to hearing individuals that Shakespeare is relevant to all people. And I'd like to uh, end with some news uh, that had not happened when I wrote the majority of this podcast episode. Recently, Ryan Artsberger, the director I quoted earlier, became artistic director of the Indianapolis Shakespeare Company. Ryan is an incredibly talented director who was trained at the Juilliard School of the Arts and is one of those people with an incredible analytical mind. Ryan replaces Diane Tennerman, who has been artistic director for the past 10 years. Also a person with an excellent analytical mind, Diane is head of the theatrical department at Butler University. And on a personal note, Diane is an individual who has totally changed my life. You see, when I moved to Indianapolis, I thought my interpreting Shakespearean days were, or interpreting Shakespeare days were over. But to make a long story short, I started interpreting for indie shakes, first with Coriolanus, then the next year Hamlet, and then A Midsummer Night's Dream, and this year, Ricky Three. So thank you, Diane, for your kindness, generosity, sensitivity, and awesome expertise in the theatrical world. Next week, Celebrate Poe will return to Edgar Allan Poe's life as a young man after he left the University of Virginia. Sources include not surprisingly, Richard III by William Shakespeare, Asimov's Guide to Shakespeare, A Guide to Understanding enjoying and Enjoying the Works of Shakespeare, Shakespeare, The Invention of the Human by Harold Bloom, The Reader's Encyclopedia of Shakespeare by Oscar Campbell, editor, Shakespeare's Words, A Glossary and Language Companion by David Crystal, Volumes 1 and 2 of Shakespeare. Lexicon and Quotation Dictionary by Alexander Smith, The Complete Works of Edgar Allan Poe by Edgar Allan Poe, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, A History of the Hip-Hop Generation by Jeff Chang, Will in the World by Stephen Greenblatt, Signing Shakespeare by George Bartley, and the Indianapolis Shakespeare Company Playbill for Ricky Three, A Hip-Hop Shakespeare. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the life, times, and works of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe.